announcements this morning. Um, the BCM at the University of West Georgia is having their dinner theater to raise funds for their summer missions. Uh, April 13th and 14th at 7 o'clock. The uh, cost is 15 for adults and 10 for children. Um, if you have any questions or if you want to make reservations, you can see Bill Grissett or email him um, for that. Also, the new Bible study, um, David Jeremiah Bible study, The Tender Warrior, starts this Tuesday um, from 6 to 8 p.m. So contact Sandy Wayne if you are interested in that. It, I've heard the last one was really good, so if you're looking for a, another midweek opportunity to um, read the word and study, uh, please see her for that, him, any of them. Um, also, assisted listening devices, uh, we now have those available in the back. If you're needing a little extra help in hearing the morning worship service, you can stop by the information desk uh, for more information and to check out a receiver and earphones. So stop by the sound booth if you need any additional help. Okay, also some youth announcements. D-Now weekend is fast approaching. It is the last weekend in April. Um, uh, it's $30 per student, and you have until April 21st or 22nd, the Sunday before, to sign up and to give your, your money, $30. And I really need that as soon as you can get it to me um, because I have to transfer that money over to... Uh, who it goes to, Root for Road Baptist Church, so for the food and for the t-shirts and everything. So if you can get signed up as soon as possible and start getting those checks uh, to me, that would be greatly appreciated. And also, there's going to be a youth cornhole tournament um, to raise money for our youth camp. That's going to be May 12th. Um, and so right now, the biggest thing is I need cornhole boards uh, to help with that tournament. So if you have cornhole boards, that you are willing to donate for, a, for one day, uh, May 12th. There's a sign-up sheet in the back, and we can store those here. You can bring them the week before. We can store them here, and then you can pick them up the Sunday after, uh, which would be Mother's Day. But that would be greatly appreciated so that we can have as many people involved in that as possible because we're hoping to raise a good bit of money to help our kids go to youth camp this year. Um, if you have any more questions on D-Now or on the Cornhole Tournament, you can see me at any time. Call me, email me, whatever needs to be done for that. Um, now, if we, uh, as we get ready to worship this morning, we're going to read from Luke chapter 24. And it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village in which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized, recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about, about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. 
It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to praise your name this morning. We thank you for allowing us to get here safely, Lord, and just have a congregation of believers who who love you so much. We pray that we just be filled with your presence this morning, Lord, and that what we sing and what we teach and everything, Lord, will just be just be what you wanted us to, to hear and to, and to sing this morning. We thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins. In his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin singing this morning. We're going to sing Hallelujah, What a Savior. Oh 
stand. We're going to sing one more song together. I got to tell you, it's a really great time to join the choir because we're singing all new music from now until December. Um, and we've ordered a book that has a lot of new contemporary songs from the radio that you know and love. Um, we've got a couple new gospel pieces. Um, so a lot of really good music that we're going to be singing for you. So we'd love for you to join us when you leave today. If you're interested, you don't even have to say anything to me if you don't want to. You can just pick up a CD because I know if you take the CD home and listen to it, you'll really love it and want to come sing with us. So feel free to pick up one of those CDs when you leave. And then once you fall in love with it, you can tell me and I'll get your folder set up and we'll see you at five this afternoon. Um, let's go ahead and sing 10,000 Reasons together.
just thank you for this day, Lord, and I thank you for an opportunity to be in your house with, the, with your people, Lord. I pray that you would just be with Neil, Lord, as he brings a message to us this morning. Lord, I pray you would open our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ty. You'll be seated. Um, at this point, before our children leave for Children's Church, we're going to do something different. Uh, imagine that here on Sunday morning before I preach. Uh, several weeks ago, Bryson and I heard a man named Steve Parr speak, and he really challenged us as a church and other churches to prayerfully commit ourselves to reaching the next generation. So I've spoken with Erica and, and also Bryson. Bryson, if you'll come on up here as well. Bryson's going to lead this morning a prayer for the next generation. And what we're going to do over the month of April before the sermon we're going to select a portion, a, a certain age range of our children to pray for and their leaders and the parents. So this morning our target is, our focus is, uh, birth on up to age kindergarten. So nursery through kindergarten. So I know this is the Sunday after spring break. I don't see a whole lot of nursery to kindergarten, but if you're a child this morning or have a child with you and they are either, you're carrying them, yeah, y'all come on up. We want to see you, okay? We want all of us to see who you are and we want to pray for you and acknowledge you. Come on up, Duke. What? Oh, Duke's matching. Well, he likes to preach while I preach, so... All right, this is what I want us to think about. Now, we've got some nursery workers. Now, if you're a children's worker or leader, you can either come on up here with Erica, our children's minister, or why don't we do this? Hey, if you work with this age group at any portion in our ministry, I'm talking Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Yes, now we're talking. And some of these people... If you volunteer in the nursery, some of these people are going to come up every week because they're working so diligently across the board with different age groups. And I know that a lot of you don't look at the bulletin every week, but if you'll look in our bulletin each week, you will notice a segment there at the bottom of one of the... Y'all are doing great. <laughs> this is a good visual here of, of who's, who's serving our children. Every week we list who's serving. There's a lot of people who are out today for various reasons. But, but let's pray for the children in this age range, their parents, our leaders, our whole church, and some thoughts that I wrote down earlier. Let's pray for them. Let's love them. Let's invest in them. Hey, let's invite children to church. Let's bring, bring them with us. Develop relationships. We'll share some more practical things along the way. Um, but I think you get the idea. We want to commit ourselves as a church to reaching the next generation. We'll share some statistics with you. And all this is going to culminate with Steve Parr himself being with us here the last Sunday night of this month. So, Bryson, why don't you come and pray and maybe share any other thoughts of wisdom that you have. Thank you. Well, I was so excited whenever we talked about the opportunity to do this because this is my heart. Um, this is what I looked to whenever I went into youth ministry is the fact that, you know, in Matthew chapter 28, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. And many times we look to all nations, but that starts with our own children. 
making disciples of those who were brought up in the church, you know, those from age birth through high school to college and so on and so forth. It's, it's about making disciples of everyone we come in contact with. And so the emphasis right now is to pray and to encourage these, these children to, to let them know that we love them and to know that Jesus loves them and to know that there's nothing that, that's more important than that. So mm-hmm. let's pray together as we, as we encourage this morning. Lord, we love you. Um, we thank you for a church that loves our children. We thank you for leadership, Lord, that, that loves our children. But most of all, we thank you for a Savior in Jesus who loves our children. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, just to come together and pray for each of these, these young ones, Lord, that, that we be an example for them, Lord, of the love that Jesus had for us on the cross, that you give us guidance and, and wisdom, Lord, to, to be that example for them, and that, Lord, that we're so filled up with you, Lord, that it flows into our children, that we're, that we're speaking and acting in a way that's representative of you. Lord, I pray for each of these workers, each, each parent, each child, Lord, that they come to fully understand and know your love and your mercy. And Lord, I pray as we keep going on in this, in this month of prayer for the next generation, Lord, that it be not something that we don't just say, Lord, but that we act on, that, that you lead us to different places and you lead us to different areas of, to volunteer and to help, Lord, so that we know that when, when many of us are, are gone and, and in heaven with you, Lord, there's going to be another generation that's rising up to, to follow in our footsteps, Lord, another generation to lead the next generation, Lord, because what we want, Lord, is, is, a, is a people, Lord, that is fully in love with you. We thank you so much for all that you do, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so children who go to children's church at this time can, can exit again. Thank you so much. Hey, let's, let's give thanks to God for our children and our leaders. The rest of us, turn to the book of Esther. Yes, we're going back to Esther. Some of you may be surprised. Because leading up to, East, to Easter, uh, I advertised, so to speak, that we were preaching through the book of Esther. And we were going to go from Esther to Easter, and we did that, but now we're going to go from Easter back to Esther, okay? Because I, I did not conclude the book of Esther, and if you know me, I'm a, a task-oriented, I like to, to finish some things, and so I'd like to finish the book of Esther. So we're going to conclude Esther today by looking at the end of the book, and I'm just going to draw some, some big-picture closing thoughts to sum it up. And I hope what we learn through this is that, you know, the, the book of Esther might be ending, but the story itself is not ending. This is God's story. And so what we find in the book of Esther is, is a small part of a bigger story that's about God and his love and his presence and his work in our lives. And I believe that the book of Esther points to an even bigger story and that's the story of Jesus. I believe that when God put the Bible together, that he put the, the, the whole thing is about Jesus ultimately. The Old Testament looks forward to him and anticipates him. And then the New Testament announces that he has arrived. 
The, the New Testament letters explain how to live in, in the light of the fact that Christ died for us and rose from the dead. And the, the, the book of Revelation anticipates his coming, as does a lot of the rest of the New Testament. So the book of Esther is a, is a small part of a larger story. And I believe within this book, we have some of the truths that you'll find throughout the Scriptures. So let's conclude Esther by looking at the end of it. Let's consider... And the last time we were together in Esther, we stopped at chapter 8, verse 3. And a lot of what happens in, in the last three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, is repetitive. Okay? So, and I'm going to go back to some of that as I work through, through the notes that I have. But I want to pick us up in verse 20. Okay? So Esther chapter 9, verse 20. Remember, we're dealing with Esther and Mordecai and King Asuerus. And how God, even though he's not mentioned in this book, and even though we live in a culture and society that may not refer very often to God, be sure that he is still working and he is still on the throne. All right, we got phones going off everywhere. (laughs) Mine's over there. Maybe I need to go check it. All right, we'll just acknowledge what's happening here. All right, Esther chapter 9, beginning with verse 20, if you're still with me. Okay. So then Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Asuerus, both near and far. So Mordecai is recording these events, and you know this is the days before Twitter and before Facebook and even before newspapers and radios and televisions. So how are you going to get information to all the people? Well, they wrote letters. If you notice earlier, they got the king's fastest horses. And they put couriers on these horses. It's kind of like I imagine the Pony Express. They took these letters throughout the kingdom. Okay, So get this picture. Verse 21, obliging them to celebrate. You've got to celebrate something. Like, whoa, we get to celebrate. What are we celebrating? Well, the 14th day of the month of Adair and the 15th day of the same month annually, every year. Because on those days, the Jews rid themselves of their enemies. And it was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness. And from mourning into a holiday. That they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another, and, this is crucial as well, gifts to the poor. Thus the Jews undertook what they had started to do, and what Mordecai had written to them. They actually did it. They, they executed it. They put it into practice. And, and then there's a summary of things that we've talked about. It took us you know, several weeks to go through this. So if you're just here and missed the, you know, we're kind of catching up. Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite historical enemies of the Jews, the adversary of all the Jews. He had schemed against the Jews to destroy them, and he had cast pure. Now, pure was the casting of, of lots or dice. Remember, they, okay, we're going to roll the dice and see when, you know, it's deemed that we should destroy all the Jews. Well, the very day... Uh, that the, the dice were rolled, so to speak, to, to destroy them. That's the day they're going to celebrate 
new life. So notice the irony here that God turned all this, even the casting of lots, to prove that even though he's not mentioned, even though there's no dramatic miracles here like in the book of Exodus, man, even the casting of lot down to the very detail was ordained and, and, and sovereignly planned by, by God. So on the very day that they were to die, that's the day they're going to celebrate that they live. That's the day in verse 24 that it, was, it rolled the dice to disturb them and to destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme which he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. That's what happened to Haman and his sons. Therefore they called these days Purim after the name of Pure, and because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who allied themselves with them. This was open to anybody who would identify with the Jewish people. You become part of the people of God, you can celebrate this with us. So that they should not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, and every province, and every city. Did you notice that? Every, 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 every. This was all-encompassing. And these days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews, or their memory fade from their descendants. And we've pointed out, to this day, the Jews still celebrate this. They kept this. They're still doing this. And so then Queen Esther, this is a summary, the daughter of Abihail with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. And he sent letters to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Asuerus, namely, words of peace and truth. And that's the phrase I've chosen for the title of this message, even though it's a summary. Words of peace and truth. I don't know about you, but I hunger for words of peace and truth. Why? Because there's so many words out there, as there were then, that are of hatred and hostility and animosity. Not peace. And out there, there are so many lies and fabrications. Not truth. What you and I need and what they needed then was words of peace and truth. And that's what these letters were. So they established in verse 31 the days of Purim at their appointed times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them, and just as they had established for themselves and their descendants with instructions for their times of fasting and lamentations. So with the celebrating came a time of seriousness. Hey, let's remember what God has done. Let's fast and lament our own sin, the things that we did wrong that led us to this, where we needed God's rescue. Now, what's interesting is that the Jewish people continue to celebrate, but they're not so much on the fastings and the lamentations. 
And that doesn't surprise us at all, does it? But still, we'll move on. So the command of Esther established these customs for Purim, and it was written in the book, chapter 10. It's not a very long chapter, only three verses. Notice that this is interesting. Now, King Aswaris laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. What does that mean? What happens April 15th? Your taxes are due. Mr. Joe, are you aware of that? <laughs> taxes due on April the 15th. He's an accountant, all right? You got a few more days. So even though this ends, it doesn't end perfectly because there's still death and there's still what? Taxes. So King Asuerus is taxing everything, even as the good news of the letter goes. So there's still fallen people living in a fallen world where a fallen king still taxes people. So we're not in heaven yet. But boy, there's still something good to celebrate. Look at verse 2. All the accomplishments of his authority and strength and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai. Listen, this guy was unknown. (laughs) He was unknown and now look at his greatness to which the king had advanced. He is now prime minister. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Medea and Persia? Mordecai the Jew. And the irony of that statement, Mordecai the Jew, the hated and despised people. He was second only to King Asuerus and great among the Jews and in favor with the multitude of his kinsmen. And, and look at this description of Mordecai and, and, and pray that this will be a description of us. He's one who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. And literally, when it says he spoke for the welfare of his whole nation, that means shalom. In Hebrew, it is shalom. Peace be unto you. Those words should sound very familiar to us as New Testament Christians because what are the very words that Jesus spoke when he had risen from the dead to his disciples? These very words, peace be with you. Father, thank you for the peace that you give. As we study Esther, I see so many parallels that are actually transcended by Jesus And what he has done for us, help me to point those out this morning. Help us to grasp those and not get lost in the history here, but instead to recognize what you've done for us. And that that transcends everything else in life. Thank you for giving us Esther to celebrate and the courage and the faith of Esther the queen and Mordecai her uncle. How she went from being an orphan... Uh, to rising as, as queen and having the authority to, to make laws and change laws. God, thank you for what you did for the Jewish people in that circumstance. Thank you for what you do for us as we identify with Christ, as we ally ourselves with him. Thank you for the grace and the words of peace and truth that we hear from the good news about Jesus. May we rest in him. This morning as we read these words, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the end of the letter is really about a celebration. 
If you think about what all we celebrate, there are reasons why we celebrate and remember those things. You know, I thought through the history of events in our particular country and how when news comes out, we don't always remember some of the things that we ought to remember. For example, I recently saw in a very busy restaurant the front page of a newspaper and it said, the war was over. <laughs> Japan surrendered. Accepted the terms of the Allies and so forth and so on. And everybody's walking by and this was announcing basically the end of World War II. None of us are really connected to that personally in a, in a strong way anymore. And so that, you know, that news for us doesn't seem as important or as celebratory. But you don't have to remind me to celebrate my birthday, all right? Or Christmas or Easter or holidays that are very important to us. Or, you know, the city of Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl. If you saw the news, those people went absolutely nuts. Don't do some of the things that they did. So why do we continue to celebrate and remember things annually that are important to us? You know, as, as baseball season kicks off every year, and I was talking about this with my dad, when I was in sixth grade, I had a sixth grade homeroom teacher named Susan Hurd. In my sixth grade year, the Atlanta Braves won their first 13 ball games of the season. Any of y'all remember that? 1982? They started 13-0. And my sixth grade homeroom teacher allowed us to get involved in the excitement. And every morning when we started homeroom, we got to go up to a board that she had allowed us to portion off in the classroom, and we got to record the standings and the Braves, whether they won or lost that night, we got to put that up on the board. And we did that the first 13 days. And we even we followed the rest of the beginning of the season for the Braves that year as they went on. They, they later won, they won their division that year. But every year I remember when baseball season kicks off, I, I, I go back and I review the history of the Braves, and especially that sixth grade year that our teacher invited us and allowed us the joy of joining in that celebration. There's been a lot to forget about the Braves as well, right? <laughs> but we focus on the good. What I want us to think about today is I want us to make some connections. And I want us to notice first what God did for those people. And it's crucial that we remember what God has done. If you're like me, you can remember, man, you've got a list of all the things people have done to you that are wrong. And it's a mental list that sometimes you keep and you go over it. But do we have a recorded list in our hearts and minds of all that God has done for us that transcends and transforms everything else that's happened to us in life? Well, let me review and remind you of just a few things that God had done for them in the book of Esther. He had released them from the sentence of death and destruction. A law had been passed by evil men and allowed by King Asuerus. He's not perfect in this whole thing by, by any stretch of the imagination. They were sentenced to die as a people. 
And in chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, they needed somebody to represent them and be courageous and go and intercede on their behalf. And Esther was God's person at God's time. And she persuaded the king to avert the evil scheme and revoke the letters devised by Haman to destroy the Jews. Well, the law of the Medes and Persians said, basically, wait, we've made a law. We can't change that law. That law's out there. So what King Asuerus allowed them to do was to write, guess what, a new law. Can't do away with the old one. But boy, we can establish a new one. And that's what they did. Esther, in her intercession and pleading with the king, that uh, they... They went beyond themselves in that, remember where we left before Haman was impaled on this tall pole and the king says, that satisfies my anger. But that didn't eliminate the edict that all the Jews were to be destroyed. So she had to go beyond and say, look king, this is not just about you. We're not just about atoning your anger here. The law is still out there that our people are going to die. And so they reversed that. So in an amazing turn of events, the king empowers Esther and Mordecai, of all people, the underdogs here, to compose a new law allowing the Jews to defend themselves against anyone who would attack them. So they got the king's fastest horses and their best couriers and they sent that Paul Revere rides kind of thing out into the, to, the, the 127 provinces. And out they go to get the news out. Hey, everything's changed. You now have rights. You can now defend yourselves where before they couldn't. That's the first thing. Release from the sentence of death and destruction. The second thing is rest. If you're taking notes, all these start with R. Rest from all would have har- who would have harmed them. Let me just read you a few things that I didn't read earlier. Chapter 9, verse 1. The Jews themselves gained mastery over those who hated them. Chapter 9, verse 2. No one could stand before them. And they've become powerful and dominant somehow. Chapter 9, verse 2. The dread of the Jews had fallen on all their enemies. Oh no, things have changed. Now they may destroy us when earlier we had the upper hand. So notice how the tables have turned. In chapter 9, verse 5, they did whatever they pleased to those who hated them. So notice that not only were they released from sentence and death, but they were empowered. They weren't just saved, but they were empowered. Hold that phrase. Because I'm going to tell us later on, we're not just saved, we're also empowered. And then third, they had a reversal of their fortunes and circumstances. Summary here. But Esther has gone from a virtual unknown, an orphan, and of all things a Jew. She's risen by the authority and the power of God and His grace to queen with full authority. The Jews themselves have gone from being hated and despised to empowered and feared. In chapter 8, verse 15, Mordecai himself has become prime minister and he comes out dressed in full royal gear. I mean, he has come out, I mean, he's the king's right-hand man and he, he looks himself, he's dressed like a king. Notice how things have changed. 
And now Esther and Mordecai, instead of being under the law, they are making laws. And I think chapter 9, verse 1 sums it up. It was turned to the contrary. A great reversal had taken place. So release from death, rest from their enemies, and a reversal of fortune and circumstances. Now, then I want you to see how they responded. And, and I've kind of been telling you already, so I'm going to go quickly here. Rejoicing, celebrating, and feasting far and wide. This was a, a celebration of all, to end all celebrations, but it was to, to be done annually. In chapter 8, verse 16, listen to this phrase. I love this phrase. I almost preached this by itself. For the Jews, there was light and gladness and joy and honor. Man, I should change what I preach right now. There are my four points. <laughs> we'll end with this. There's light and gladness and joy and honor. Well, those are things that we hunger and crave and are seeking. Chapter 8, verse 17. Oh, he's moving on. <laughs> There's gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday. They set this apart. But notice that it wasn't just self-interest. This wasn't just my party, you know. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. It, it wasn't selfish. But what's interesting is if I could take you and show you this story, they reached out to others throughout the kingdom. So what they did with this celebration in 922, they were rejoicing, but they were sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So there was this outreach mentality hey let's not just feast ourselves but is there anybody else that we can invite to this that's what they were doing now notice too that they exercised a bit of self-control they they did they did not take the plunder of their enemies so they had self-control and it said three times they didn't take everything that was offered they limited themselves Here's a remarkable statement in 8.17. Many of the people of the land became Jews. That's conversion. That's going from one side to the other. That's saying it without saying that, wow, God's favor is on these people. We need to ally ourselves with them. We need to identify with them. We need to be in solidarity with them. And so that's what 927 reminds us. All those who allied themselves with them got to celebrate. Bryce and I were talking about this uh, last week. I don't know if Bryson remembers it, but it's kind of like, you know, playing basketball with Michael Jordan. You know, the people who were on Michael Jordan's team, they weren't nearly as good as him. <laughs> but because they were on his team, hey, they got the rings too. They got the trophy, too. They got the championships, too. Why? Because they were allied with him. Now, he was carrying them. But, hey, if you're Steve Kerr, you're celebrating, too, right? Why? Because you're on the team. And everybody wants to play for the Bulls, right? In this particular scenario, the Jews were dumb. They, they, they were the champ. They were winning now. And so people were like, I want to ally myself with them, but not just to win, but to survive, Right? Because God was there, and God was behind them. So there was rejoicing, there was reaching out, 
And then last, there was remembrance and memorial for all generations. Every generation, every family, every province, every city. The days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews, and their memory was not to fade from their descendants. Let's think back to Bryson's prayer a little earlier. They were concerned about other generations remembering what had happened. And because we are forgetful as we age, we ourselves need to remember, but we need to pass on to other generations, and we have the responsibility and call to do that by example, by word, by leadership, by all the resources that God provides. That's what they did. And Chuck Swindoll says this, They chose the very days when they would have been annihilated and exterminated, and they turned those days from sadness to mourning, to, to rejoicing and celebration, to acknowledge what had happened. God did this for us. He's taken us from death to life, and we should never forget it. Now, let's think in closing about who we are as New Testament Christians and how we should look at this. We too, like them, okay, have so much to celebrate and so much to remember And as I said earlier, I really believe the book of Esther, remember, it's incomplete. It's not perfect. It doesn't carry us into heaven. But it points to the story that God is writing and working out that ultimately gets us to Christ. So Esther longs for this mediator and this ultimate good news that nothing can take away. So let's think about this. Just as they were released from a pronouncement of death, so too Jesus has released us from the ultimate pronouncement of death and curse that we were under. Meaning Jesus himself fulfilled and paid for the law. You and I had broken the law, and because of those edicts, because of those laws that we had broken, because we had failed to to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, there was law against us as well. But now Christ, because of his death on Calvary and the forgiveness, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness that we have from that, Colossians 2 says that Jesus has taken those laws and edicts and he's nailed them to the cross. The sentence of death against me and you, because we were lawbreakers and God is a holy God, Jesus, just as, just as they rewrote those, Jesus established a new covenant. It's not that they got rid of the old covenant. No, the new covenant fulfilled and transcended the old, and Christ became a curse for us. He, like Haman, was lifted up in a way that the Jews considered to be cursed, and you and I have release and forgiveness through what Christ did for us. So as they look back and remembered Mordecai and Esther, we do too, but better than Mordecai and Esther for us is Jesus. And what he's done on our behalf. Not only have we been released from this pronouncement of death and curse, but he's empowered us as well to have rest from all our enemies. Let me give you some examples. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. One of our enemies is sin. You know what Paul told the New Testament Christian? Sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law, you're now under grace. In chapter 8, verse 11 of Romans, the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. 
Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The last enemy that should be abolished is death, and so we have this victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave through Christ. Listen to 1 John 4.4, greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. Matthew 16, the gates of hell will never overcome the church. I could go on and on, but what I'm trying to say is if, if God is for you, then who can be against you? And he's not only forgiven you, but he has empowered you. And we need to apply that to our lives and our fears and our anxieties and all that we go through. We had traveled home from spring break yesterday. I had a wedding to get to yesterday afternoon, and traffic was backed up along the way, the whole route. And, and I'll be honest, I couldn't enjoy the trip home because I was stressed about me uh, being late for the wedding. And if you're late for a wedding, you got an ang- angry bride. And, and I've never wanted to see an angry bride. <laughs> So at, I made it in time, and at the pre-wedding gathering, I was talking to uh, a young couple that were at another wedding that I'd just done. I'm giving you too much information. But this one lady said something to me that I'd never heard, that her mother, Lisa Anderson, some of y'all may know her, passed on to her nine kids, and it's, it's, it's very simple, and it goes like this. Listen, if you're not in trouble with the Lord, you're not in trouble. Let me say that again, because we got all sorts of difficulties and issues in life. But if you're not in trouble with the Lord, you're not in trouble. Why? Because if he's for you, then who can possibly be against you? Not only has he saved you and called you his own, but he's empowered you to overcome sin, death, self, hell, all the enemies that we face. I guess the reverse of that would also be true, though. If you're in trouble with him, you're in trouble. And that's the opposite of where the Jews were in the book of Esther. And that's why they allied allied themselves with God. And then, of course, Jesus has reversed our circumstances in the greatest possible way. We, too, have gone from death to life. We've gone from having absolutely nothing to having everything. And God has done that for us in Christ. Colossians chapter 2 says we've been raised up with Jesus and we are now seated in the heavenlies. Everything that his is now yours. So Paul says we have nothing but at the same time we have everything. So as I read the book of Esther and I say wow what a turn of events. But then I flip over to the New Testament and I says wow look at what God has done for me. Look at what he did for Esther and Mordecai and the Jews. But look at what he's done for us and we're And we're on the heels of celebrating that. So let's go from Easter to Esther. Well, let's go from Esther to Easter. The church now rejoices and celebrates what God has done for us in Christ. The effect on us is kind of like the effect on them. What did the first disciples do in the presence of the risen Christ? Bryson read it. Wow, they were so overjoyed. It was almost too good to be true. They rejoiced in that so much. They, kept t- they almost didn't believe it. It caused them so much joy. The one they had left everything to follow really did rise from the dead. So you see the new church celebrating and rejoicing. And, and we sang 10,000, singing like they'd never sung before. Why? Because Christ really was with them. And in, 
been raised from the dead and was eating a piece of broiled fish in front of them. It was all real. And so they rejoiced and celebrated what God had done. Look at the early church in Acts chapter 2 and how they rejoiced in that. The second, they also reached out to others. Again, the Great Commission. Go. Jesus said, as I've been sent, so send I you. Be salt and light. Portions for the poor. You know, continue to have a food pantry ministry. Continue to reach out. Why? Because this is not about you, per se. It's also about others. We exist for the benefit of others. So rejoice and celebrate, but invite others to make this personal. And then remember and reflect upon his life and work until he returns. They established Purim so that they'd never forget. What has Christ established for us so that we'll never forget? You know what some of those things are? One is Sunday worship. Does anybody know why we worship on Sundays? Instead of Saturday, the law said worship on the Sabbath. You know why we gather every Sunday? Because Christ rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. So as you come back to church week after week on the first day of the week, to get your perspective right, to set your mind back right. You hear people like me go over again what God has done for us because we're a bunch of forgetters, because Monday's coming, and taxes are due, and they've said no new taxes, you know, but there's new taxes. And here we find ourselves, but every week we worship on the first day of the week as proof that Christ rose from the dead. Why don't we observe the Lord's Supper regularly? Because we forget. We think life's about us. But we break the bread and we drink the cup to remind us of, that our life is not our own, that, that we were bought with a price. I, I forget that. Why don't we preach the gospel over and over? Why did God give the church baptisms? To remind us again that Christ died for us and Christ was raised for us. So we have something to, we have something to, fee, to, to fast and lament over, and that's our own sin. But, but in a greater way, there's something to celebrate. And now we fall in love with God all over again and again and again as we hear what He's done for us. I don't know about you, but my, my love for Him gets lame and apathetic, and I forget but when I come back in here and I preach it again, and I see all of you here, and we're singing together, and we're reaching out and doing all that God calls us to do, it, I don't know about you, but it encourages my love and my passion for Christ and the gospel as I remember and reflect again and again on what he's done for, for us. And God has commanded us, just like he commanded him, to assemble regularly and celebrate and rejoice again in what he has done to stir our hearts and our love for him and for one another. That's why it's so important to keep coming. And keep observing the Lord's Supper. And keep celebrating baptisms. And keep sharing the good news. That's our Purim. But it's all based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's pray right now that God through us continuing to be faithful in obeying Him, that we celebrate really the faithfulness that He has on our behalf and that we celebrate and remember what God has done for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's pray. Father, thank you again that as we look back at what you did for the Jewish people through Esther, 
just in miraculous, providential ways, you work behind the scenes to bring about their redemption. So too, you've worked on our behalf in Jesus, but it wasn't behind the scenes. You put Christ out there. You put him up there upon a cross where he was torn and beaten and took upon himself the punishment that my sin deserved. And then you, you raise him up from the dead openly and triumphantly. And as Paul said to Agrippa, these things were not done in a corner. But they were done openly and publicly. So, Father, I, I challenge us today to rejoice in this and, and allow it to transcend the daily grind and the things that we think about that cause us fear and anxiety and, 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 and all temptation, all that's there. Help us to focus on the good news and how this news transcends everything else. And if we've never done so, may we identify ourselves with Christ and His people and this new covenant, the covenant that's in blood that gives us not only forgiveness but new hearts and new minds and, and new lives. And empower us, Father, to, to, li to live this out every day as you have empowered us to overcome selfishness and sin and and greed and all that's there that we battle on a daily basis. Now may we sing uh, this next song of invitation, just giving our hearts and our minds and our lives to you and falling in love with you all over again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Hey, this book ends well. Esther ends well. Uh, the gospel is good news and is the assurance that all ends well for those who are in Christ, regardless of the circumstances. Let's sing, and you come during this hymn of invitation. Yeah.
let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for light and joy and gladness and honor. Thank you that you've raised us so high above our station, Lord. Thank you um, for giving us so many reasons to celebrate. Thank you that it is so well with our souls, and you care so very deeply about us. Thank you, Lord. I ask that we could celebrate you now. We ask that we could celebrate you now with our giving. Help us to enjoy and be a cheerful giver. You love a cheerful giver, Lord, and so help us to do this in celebration of what you've given us, in celebration of the blood that you shed on our behalf, and in celebration for who you are. You're so good, and you're so kind, and you're such a perfect father. So help us to worship you now and to celebrate you now with what we're about to do. Please take these offerings and use them as a pleasing sacrifice, Lord. Use them uh, for whatever you decide to do. It's yours anyway, so we, uh, of, of your own, we give back to you, Lord. Thank you. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. 